Hello, and welcome to episode four of the WOAS podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Daisy Jones and the Six. So for everyone watching, I brought up to Jeremy for uh, our next episode or one of our episodes. Hey, let's let's talk about Daisy Jones and the Six because, yes, it's a very popular show on Amazon and, and based on a popular novel. But what I connected with about that series was the music, first and foremost. It's a good show. You know, it's got it's not perfect. It's got its uh its flaws and and certain things that it could have been done better. But mm-hmm. I think what I would anchor my excitement on is the fact that a collection of people wrote an album that I think not only stands on its own, but captures a lot about a time and a context and a story that is believable um, j- just in the context of the music. And it's very well done in as much as what it's sort of trying to replicate. And it does it in a very not pandering, non-tacky way. Um, maybe similar to the Waiting on a Song album. Yeah, it's got a vintage so, vibe without it being too much. And it's not yeah. ripping off things. Um, it's kind of an homage to a lot of these Fleetwood Mac songs. Um and some of those other people that are around the same time, I, I would throw Jackson Brown in. I'm sure we'll go over this, but um, Jackson Brown had a hand in one of the songs. And yeah. it's one of those things that as a Jackson Brown fan, you could kind of spot as you're going throughout the show without even knowing he was involved. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I didn't, um, I'd be interested to see where we're, we're going to attempt to play some stuff during the episode. I'd be interested to see which song, you know, um, you get that vibe from. Yeah. Um, but there's some like certain phrasing things that Jackson Brown does that are okay, very specific to him. Yeah. And it's interesting because as we were looking on the wiki about the album, um, we don't see any sort of writing credits with his name on it, but he is listed as one of the producers. So, you know, maybe in, in the case of that song, if, if what you're implying is in fact going on, you know, maybe he was kind of taking a producer sort of angle where he's like, Hey, try it this way, you know, and then yeah. it made its way into the song. Now, yeah. What uh, I think for a little background, so if you've seen the show or if you haven't, um, go watch it. Yeah, go watch it. Or if you don't have the time to do that and you're not interested in the show, but you are intrigued now that we've mentioned this about the music, go listen to the album Aurora by Daisy Joes and the Six on Spotify or any major streaming platform. Um, you won't be disappointed, uh, probably regardless of whatever genre, I'm sorry, whatever era of, let's say, like rock you're into, you'll appreciate it. Um, but for a little background beyond the fact that there's a show and an album, um, this is a very deliberate effort, I think, by, uh, I guess, Amazon Studios and the producer that the showrunner, let's say, um, which I think is Taylor Jenkins Reed is his name, um, to put together something that would stand up to the legendary status of, let's say, like the story, the, the novel primarily, right, that begat this show. And I think they achieved that. He enlisted um, as, I think, the primary writing force, Blake Mills, which Jeremy and I have just kind of started to um, look into a bit and listen to. And and he's very interesting. And I think we're going to do a separate episode on him as well. But he's, I don't know. How would you describe Blake Mills? From what you've heard so far? Because I'm trying, I have to remember what, you know, what what I recall the songs. And was reading some about him before I went into the music. And um, okay. I guess he, he came up in like the 
early 2000, 2010s. Mm -hmm. Um, and was a really good session guitar player, touring musician kind of guy. Okay. Put out his own solo album that was a big hit in, mm -hmm. in Nashville. Um, okay. amongst like other Nashville session people, you know, they were, uh, they were really impressed by it. Okay. Um, and I'd listened to it and it's got some really interesting kind of ideas on it. Um, it's definitely not pop radio friendly or even country yeah. radio friendly or anything like that. Um, right. But he seems to have acumen in that oh, yeah. country field. Nashville, that revelation that you just brought to the table here makes sense because that speaks to sort of like the country vocabulary, which there is that in the songs. Like there's arguably moments in the vocal harmonies that are very country. We'll see if we can mm -hmm. kind of like tag those down on the spot when we play some songs. Yeah. But the musicianship thing too, nowadays Nashville is not just country. So you have any number of like really proficient <clears throat> musicians running through that city and that mm -hmm. scene. Oh yeah. Right. Best and musicians in the country for sure. Probably the yeah, world. Right. And so he probably, you know, has absorbed all that. I mean, look, even, you know, when you're talking about a country band, I remember my, uh, my high school jazz instructor saying this to me years ago, he was like, Hey, if you want to really like hone your skills as a guitar player, join a country band because like they're the most sought after and technically proficient guitar players out there and the kinds of, of things they have to do require like a wide palette of skills and whatnot. So I think Blake Mills probably falls into that category now that mm -hmm. you're giving me this background. And <clears throat> I'll add that maybe we'll play a song of his, but when, when I probably similarly listened to the, you know, the top X, whatever yeah. uh, tracks of his, I noticed that like, like you were saying, it doesn't really fall into any kind of one category. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mentioned before the um, we started shooting like, you know, maybe I'd liken him to a Vance Joy or a Ben Howard as far as like his standalone writing skill where they're just like good songs yeah. and they and they work with just like a guitar. But then he'll like do these weird ass solos that are like using scales you wouldn't normally use in song like that or any song for that matter. Almost yeah. um, going into like, I don't know, Radiohead territory maybe. Really, really strange. Right. Like you just hear this very like, not traditional song, but straightforward song with this weird solo that you would never think to put on. That's cool. Right. And that's, and that's something that I wouldn't even say it's something a session player would do. It's something that someone who's just a really learned skilled. Yeah. Musician would do. So. Yeah. And I think he really got more popular whenever he started producing for other people. Mm -hmm. So he's done a bunch, okay. a bunch of production and worked on a bunch of big stuff. And I think that's what you're also hearing in his own solo stuff. Right. Somebody that not only is really proficient in music, but also music production, which are two completely different skills. Okay. Well, and then to continue just sort of the, the personnel aspect of this and then, and then speak to what you just said, he's one of the producers and he's the primary writer mm -hmm. and he then therefore knows how to make something sound like other things he's played on, or maybe even other periods of time, right. Yep. And capturing that. Yep. Uh, as well as like having enough of a vocabulary to maybe even pivot from what he normally writes into like, oh, you know, if Fleetwood Mac was around now and they were like writing something, like we need a Fleetwood Mac-esque sound, but not actually be Fleetwood Mac. Like, here's how I would approach that. And he, he nails it. It's not derivative in any way, as as you were saying before. It's got little like sprinkles of 
ideas from other things. There's mm-hmm. specific like kick drum sounds or guitar sounds yes. or maybe a, a tiny little vocal harmony. Yes. That they're doing that's reminiscent of Fleetwood Mac, but it's just right. that one little element in the rest of the song is much more original. Yeah. And um, they, I probably, you know, and I was saying this to Jeremy before, I think it's probably the track Regret Me. We'll play it where <laughs> I would argue that anything they do that's Fleetwood Mac is all based off of Rhiannon. But that's uh-huh. awesome because it's like, <laughs> you know, that's the most Fleetwood Mac song probably that they've it ever done. Is. Yeah. Right. So, so to just like pull a couple like guitar tone qualities and even maybe like rhythmic qualities of what Lindsey Buckingham would do and then yeah. throw that into one to two to three songs in this album. It's killer. And uh, forgive me to the actress uh, who I'm going to butcher your name, but Riley Co. let's say Riley Key. Co. Let's like just say Co. Co. Uh, I'm so sorry if I'm getting this wrong. But anyway, Riley also sounds like Stevie Nicks in certain parts of these songs. Right. For sure, deliberately, for sure, encouraged by the producers. Mm-hmm. And that's a feed unto itself. Like, how do you do that? I mean, she was a powerhouse and, you know, still is, but I mean, was it was a powerhouse in the seventies from a singing, from a vocal point of view and to, to be able to replicate that is killer. But then on top of that, this girl has got a, this woman has got a killer, killer vocal range and understanding of harmony, which leads me to another point, which is that here's an album for those of you who are listening and watching that two actors that are in the show Mm -hmm. sing on everything. It is them. It's their voices they're very much not treated like there's really if there's any auto tune going on it's it's masterfully done but yeah i think maybe a little bit on a couple places but it's very tasteful and i don't and i i don't think they had to use a lot of it but even so, still yeah. they wouldn't be able to pull off the harmonies that they do if they yeah. weren't good singers so sam sam clayflin this english actor um he's you know he's great as as uh billy dunn um who's the you know like leads the the front man of the band and then she comes in as the um, sort of like the other front man or front woman. And you can't tell the guy's faking an American accent. Yeah. So there's that too. So he's already like doing this believable American persona and accent and Californian at that, but yeah. not like, hey, bra, you know, it's not like exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And Riley Co. that's probably like her normal speaking voice or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the two of them are great on camera um, and they have good chemistry, all that stuff. But like, yeah, they, they, I mean, here's the takeaway. These people cranked out an amazing album and it does not matter that it's like the companion to a decent show or a great show or whatever you want to call it. Right. I mean, they just like knocked out of the park. So what I'm excited about and why I wanted to do this is because I like the fact as a fan of music, I like nostalgia, but I like it when it's, if you're going to do something deliberate, still make it your own. Let's just say that. And here is just, if we're just looking at as an album, an album that, this group of people put together that's kind of perfect. You know, there's maybe like three or four songs that are, they're good songs, but they're like, they don't stand up to maybe the other like killer five songs. Doesn't matter yeah. though. That's an album. Those, yeah, right. That's, an album. that's just how many how times have you, work. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you come to that realization? You're like, oh shit, everything isn't awesome. Unless it's like yeah. Allison Chain's Dirt or whatever. So, so to pull that off is impressive, but it just makes for a satisfying listen. And so we wanted to kind of share this with the world. And, and I, I think Jeremy's mostly on board with, you know, the, uh, a similar sentiment about the song. So yeah, the songs um, are good. Yeah. So let's just like, let's do this. We'll start with um, the opening track and we'll uh, 
share as much as is necessary. Um, I, I have points about some of the songs where I want to talk about how they transition into a chorus and, and what I think some of the beauty of the writing is. Um, remind me to talk about Honeycomb because I want to bring up another writer that will, if you stick around, you'll find out who else was involved in writing this, uh, these songs. Don't but, Google uh, it. Yeah. Right there. Mike's going to tell you. Yeah, don't Google it. Okay. Um, you hear that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Bring this down. So what I love about this is just, just this. I like how it's just got this driving beat. I don't know what BPM it is, but it's fast enough to get your blood pumping. Yeah, yeah. And they had that really rattly, like, I don't know. I guess it's like, I don't know if it's an organ sound or they're doing something weird to the bass. Very not characteristic of that time. Right. Right. But the vocal um character is yeah and here's another thing too if we're talking from a production note they laid the vocals are laid back they're not Way like back. popped up yeah. front like they would normally be right so for anyone who doesn't sort of think of this music from this production point of view nowadays um in any genre of music honestly for that matter the vocals are always like up front and they're they're, oh, yeah. they're center stage okay they're like they treat those things to make them pop and then everything else i don't mean like pop music but like boop and mm -hmm. Everything else will be present and clear and mixed properly, but the vocal is kind of like punched out and everything else is serving that. This is not the case. You listen to older stuff and you go back. Mm -hmm. Now that I said that, if you never thought about that before, you'll hear the vocals kind of like dip back. Maybe they're even competing with the instrumentation. And yeah, yeah I don't know if, I, I don't That's know if how we old would... music is a sound. I, I definitely picked up on that as one of the things. It's a characteristic. About. And then you made the playlist for me where there's also the Fleetwood Mac songs on it. Yeah. And the vocals aren't even as far back as the real Fleetwood Mac songs are, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, They're very interesting. more buried. Right. Hey. So there you go. Okay. So there's that. Um, so driving beat using this interesting sort of character that's not exactly characteristic of, let's say, like the Fleetwood Mac thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it would be used in some sort of more atypical rock band of that era. But right. anyway, it works. I like it. And that's like, there you go. Like, it, th that's a standalone song and a choice that was made that works and doesn't take away from like what this album's trying to sound like from yep. from like the point of view of when it's supposed to be anyway and the chorus is cool and everything but th that what you just heard is kind of the meat and potatoes i think of what makes this song uh, a good opener and it's the title track of the album so any additional thoughts on aurora for starters i mean i would like to learn more i don't know if this is on a YouTube video somewhere or Amazon Prime behind the scenes, but yeah, how they actually recorded all of this stuff in the studio. Yeah, I would love to know that too. Because I know you're also like me, trying to get more, just trying to get Context. better at, at mute. At, yeah, trying to get better at music production. Yeah, but I want to see how they actually recorded this stuff. What mics did they use? What mm -hmm. um, preamps did they use what compressors did they use what was was it analog gear was it all mixed in the box like all this stuff is very interesting to me now that's a that's a great point uh yeah i i definitely spent a little bit of time i think thinking about that i i would imagine they probably used some outboard gear and some vintage stuff just mm -hmm. because i think it would have been foolish not to if you're trying it's to so like much capture... easier to get that sound 
because yeah. that's what they were using. If you're using the right tools, it's going to sound like that without even trying. Here's the thing. Did they, uh, did they um, print to tape? Mm. That's what I wonder, you know? Because you're like just even using the compressors and how far would they have taken it? Might as well take it all the way if you're going to yeah. do it. You've got Amazon Prime Bezos money coming at you. Yeah, right. That's, the, that's a good point. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Like, imagine if they had no parameters. They're just like, <laughs> it costs whatever it does, and it, it takes as long. Because I would like to know how long this took as well. Right. You know? How long were they in the studio? Yeah. Because like the writing alone, I'm sure Blake Mills is talented enough. He knocked a bunch of stuff out. Mm -hmm. But the writing alone could have been like six months or, or a year or something. Right. You know? So For something this big, I would bet you take at least six months to do it, do it right. Sure. If yeah. you have the the time and the deadlines. But and it shows if that was the case, you know. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, that was the opening track, Aurora. And hopefully that gave everyone a little bit of an idea of the album and the experience. So I guess going in order, because they kind of, they do lay out at least the, like three killer songs in a row. So we've got this other one, Let Me Down Easy, which this is arguably the most Fleetwood Mac themed one. Mm -hmm. Anyone who knows Fleetwood Mac, like just... Check out these guitars. I mean, that's Lindsey Buckingham, but it's not a exact riff that is used, you know. And then the, like the subtle, like the the Wurlitzer. Yeah. You know. We're gonna take this one all the way to the chorus. I don't care. You down, Jeremy? I'm down. All right. The drum sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. The guitars are cool. Yeah, I like that. Okay, and then the, you don't expect this. That's, that's the most Fleetwood sounding song, right? There. Oh, yeah. How great is this chorus? And I love this part. It's good, man. Oh, that one just, probably sounds the most Fleetwood. Yeah, for oh, hundred percent. And now that you say, like, yes, yeah, you're right. That because when I was listening today, yesterday, I was like, ah, you know, the the melodies and harmonies don't exactly sound Fleetwood Macish to me. But then, just by virtue of you saying that, I was like, yeah, you're right. It 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 because I was thinking of the interplay between Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, but mm -hmm. that's more like if you had Christy McVie. Yeah. singing against anyone else and and three of them singing at once was Lindsay, stevie and christy yep. um because the, uh sam claflin does not sound like Lindsay buckingham at all so no you know which is which is a good thing because then that like gets that out of the way right, right. like you're not just tr searching to compare the two of them um yeah what else about that anyway and just the transition into that course so there's this is one of the probably about three songs that does this um, I think Kill You to Try is the next great example, which is the next track. But Let Me Down Easy, it's like, in terms of theory, it's probably like a sensible choice and, and a, you know, a reasonable choice in, in terms of the chord progression to go mm -hmm. to that chorus, but you don't see it coming. Yeah, it's a, it's unexpected. Okay, you you would agree with that, right? Oh, yeah. And 
that's it's, another it's modulating sorry. right it's going between like a major let's see minor so thing. so what leads into that again so it's um so that's a weird transition i don't know if that's yeah. a that's a, probably a key change yeah it's for sure it's three key changes as far as i can tell uh -huh. and not that that's common or uncommon or whatever i mean any, anything goes in good music but i think normally what you would do what what most people would do writing a song that you're trying to make sound like of a certain time and be catchy mm -hmm. and, and sound like it would compete in that time yeah. is that you would just, you would stay in the same key. And then you would like, you know, if you're doing the one and the four and the six, then you're going to do like six, four, one or whatever, you know, you're going to flip yeah. things around or you're going to use one of the same chords mm -hmm. in the chorus. And well, then the day doesn't have any key changes at all. Hardly. Yeah. The key yeah. change is kind of gone from music since probably nineties. Well, yeah, but not like in pop music. There's plenty of like wacky stuff nowadays yeah, that, in that pop is. Music. Yeah. And Fleetwood yeah. Mac was definitely pop music. Yeah, but like, but like, yeah, okay, pop rock, let's say. Yeah. Which I don't even know what that is now. Maybe, whatever. I'm not going to, I always bring up the Lumineers. So I'm not going <laughs> to. Lumineers. Um, yeah, I would, I would almost put them in the pop rock category, even though. We should know. have a little counter every time you mention the Lumineers. <laughs> I know. I was like, I keep repeating. I'm not going to, because now I'm going to just like be meta and like say whatever. Oh, you should. No, it's it. funny. Just watch you, everyone watch the other videos, and then you you can make a game out of it. You can. I want people yeah. to comment and like tell me what like a dipshit I am as far as like how I keep bringing up the same examples uh -huh. as if my world is this small and like I only listen to like these. You know, you gotta four have bands like a, one Lumineers anecdote per episode. No, I won't do it. I won't because <laughs> I've already like recycled that like four times. You know, we we have arguably. Awesome. Uh, this is <laughs> this is full length episode four, but it's really what like six in terms of the mini yeah. sodes or five, and um, you know, I I think I mentioned the same fucking bands across all six, so I'm not doing it, happens, it today, man. I'm but anyway, bringing up Tom Petty, the Black Keys, all these people I like. I'm Did we? I, we haven't brought up Tom Petty yet. I don't think. I, well, I have a Tom Petty thing that relates to the show. Okay, okay, please. All right, we well, just hang on. Um, I just want to make sure. Oh, just so just. If you're doing three key changes for mm -hmm. a verse, let's say pre-chorus, if that's what that is, and then, or like a lead-in, and then the chorus, that's very interesting and not typical, and maybe even not typical of that time, per se. So I really appreciate that, and I think that's a very probably Blake Mills thing, where he was just like, let's do this. Because yeah. again, in the next track, Kill You to Try, he for sure does that. It's a really weird chorus for where everything else is going. Anyway, Tom Petty. All right, so there's, Jeremy, go. There's, there's one scene in this show mm -hmm. where Daisy comes into the studio mm -hmm. and they're playing some song. I, I don't even remember what the song is, but she's like, "It needs to be more swampy." I I read Tom Petty's autobiography, or I guess it's not. A, it's called Conversations with Tom Petty. Okay, it's basically a, a book long interview with Tom Petty, mm -hmm. and um, one of the things he's talking about is how Stevie Nicks tried to join the Heartbreakers in right. the eighties. Yeah, because they were dating, Fleet right? Yeah, they were dating. Fleetwood Mac was over, and she just loved Tom Petty's music. Mm -hmm. and they did um, a couple songs on her. I guess they just one on her first album, but they right. did a couple songs together that were huge. Stop dragging yeah. my heart around. Mm -hmm. um, Run to you. Anyway, she wanted to join the Heartbreakers, and she was obsessed with Tom Petty writing her a song. And she he wrote her this song called Insider that ended mm -hmm. up on on one of his albums from okay. the eighties. Because he wrote it, and he was like, "This is kind of what Stevie would do." It was more of a softer kind of ballad song. 
she was mm-hmm. like oh, i don't want that i do a bunch of songs like that write me something swampy it needs to yeah. be swampy okay oh like okay a, it's almost a direct quote oh that's funny yeah that's funny oh Stevie interesting Nicks. interesting yeah. and and i wonder if that's like a book level reference or then they or they just did that in the in the i don't know room, you know I, yeah but as a person who's kind of slightly well-versed in stevie nicks lore from the 80s mm-hmm. anyway as mm-hmm. it relates to tom petty yeah i kind of picked up okay maybe that's a thing that they knew as well listen for if any if anyone from the show ever watches this like let's talk because uh, yeah. i would love to pick your brain um imagine kind of a little slight departure but not really imagine being tom petty and stevie nicks is like obsessed with you uh-huh yeah. Like, like, I mean, you know, he became one of the biggest rock stars ever, but right. imagine when he was putting out, about to put out that first album. I'm sure he was very cocky and everything about it and as he should have been, but <laughs> you know, imagine just like gorgeous, like talented, yeah, world famous Stevie Nicks is like, you know, oh, write me a song, uh-huh. you know, and, and I'm dating you like, what the fuck, you know, that's amazing. Um, it's amazing for him, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like, just that must have kind of blew his mind. I'm sure he played it cool, but you know, yeah, still. I think he played it. He, according to his book, he played it very cool and told her that there's no girls allowed in the Heartbreakers. Good. <laughs> I don't want to say good for him, but just you know, in the time and yeah. place, like like a low key, like cool guy, you know, yeah. cool guy move, where he's yeah. like, you know, not revealing his uh, true feelings, you know. Um, yeah, that's funny. All right, so so as promised, Kill You to Try, the third track on the album, good song. I think it's not as intriguing of a start. But then that's why the chorus just like, you know, really lands. So check this out, everyone. This one takes a little bit longer to get into the um, chorus. Also, the drums here are very like maybe Tusk or Fleetwood Mac. This is a cool riff. This is cool what she does. Very Stevie Nicks once again, for sure. I like that acoustic guitar. That's the second song in the road. It's kind of had an acoustic guitar come in. Yeah, yep. Very subtle rock song. Yeah. Sounds good. It is cool. All right, now this is, I think, what you think is the chorus. When you first hear oh, they're not going to it yet. Okay. Keep you waiting. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, if this guitar riff is very black keys, by the way. Yeah, for sure. I'm bringing them up. So it's a key change. Great guitar tones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to steal all these guitars. I know. Very well mixed. So, yeah. So it's like, that's a key change again. I think it is. It has to be. And it it's a lift because mm-hmm. it's like, it's not really like a down song but uh, there's like a like a tension sort of longing whatever like this you know mm-hmm. this whole thing is about relationships going sour and like 
impending infidelity and and like two people that sort of uh connect but they they're, they shouldn't be and and there's like that tension and then like he has issues with his relationship and blah 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 mm-hmm. um so it's like that i feel that like you know kind of written into the the verse there yeah you know especially like like the the riley part mm-hmm. and then it goes into that what is it i must do it's kind of like a little bit of like a like a throwing your hands up and it's just like yeah. we were talking about when we were reviewing uh king of one horse town where yeah. it's sort of like the existential almost sarcastic like you know right. Or 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 you're at your wit's end kind of thing, and and mm-hmm. so that's probably what they're saying in those lyrics. But then it, it feels good, you know. It's yeah. like yeah, it's like a breath of fresh idea. air, <laughs> right? Um, There's definitely a theme throughout the show, and I think it's explicit. That yeah, it is like I know this is a not the right thing to do, but I'm sure. gonna do it yeah. anyway. Please, that's the theme. What? I know it's not oh, the right thing to do. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying to me. I was like, oh, that is I'm the waiting for it. The theme is, I know it's not the right thing yeah, to do, but I'm, I'm sorry. going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's that funny, dude. <laughs> See, this is, again, once again, probably the problem. I'm not actually looking at you because... Uh-huh. Not to break the fourth wall, folks, but, you know, um, oh, God, that's funny. Yes, exactly. I know it's not the right thing to do. And that, you know what? Yes, that that's it. That's exactly it. That's mm-hmm. the whole thread for... I guess the show mm-hmm. for sure. Cause Billy Dunn's a naughty boy, you know, and he's kind of an asshole, like the whole entire series. Yeah. When you get to the end, it'll somewhat sort of like resolve itself, but he's, he is an asshole the whole time. Yeah. And his wife's very tolerant and you can understand Daisy's plight. Like she's like overstepping her bounds a little bit from the beginning, but oh, yeah. she does get messed with too, like in an unfair way. So it's like a, in that regard, whatever you think of when anyone watches the show, it's it's a very good plot from from an emotional like relationship point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's a good arc, let's say. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So I think I think that song captures the two sides of that sort of feeling, um, or, or or like two flavors of the same feeling kind of thing. Yeah. And then for now, right I, to, yeah, sorry, relationship. Pick Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. Oh God, yeah, as your yeah, muse because those two people have been on again, off again for like. 40 years yeah and uh you know talk about <laughs> i mean there's been you know uh, i i suppose documentaries on them but like for for sure behind the music yeah behind the music was big show and it was usually always you, you kind of had to have a artist or band where there was like some bad stuff that happened and that would be the like the the story you would tell um so this person got in a car accident or like they went to rehab or whatever um, or there was infidelity, you know, like between members of the band or whatever. So uh, the Fleetwood Mac would be a great biopic um, if you were going to do sort of like an actual like what happened between the band members, because you don't yeah. really have to embellish much. It's like pretty messed up, you know, um, and I would have never wanted to have been in that band if like knowing what happened. <laughs> you know, no way, like, I mean, as a, as a person in a relationship, I think the only ones mm-hmm. that didn't have any issues as bad as everyone else were Chrissy McVie and John McVie, but yeah. So basing it off of the Fleetwood Mac, like core vibe, it, it, it nails that as well. So good point. Um, to not sort of load up this whole conversation with too many references, I'm just going to play one more for now. And then if we feel we need to go back yeah, to anything, maybe, maybe honeycomb, we'll go back yeah, to like towards okay. the end, but okay. Okay. So r- my next vote would be regret me just cause like, 
yeah. it's a cool song and this opening riff is just um check this out regret me I get trying to learn to play this just trying to like understand what he's doing and the first time I hear it, I'm like wait what 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 <laughs> Guitars, well, uh -huh. yeah, or maybe it's really effective. Say again, the auto would maybe, know. yeah. And then this, when she goes up high in harmony. Um, you know, again, again, the more I listen, like everything's got a little sprinkle of Fleetwood Mac in there, but, um, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but not, again, not necessarily this harmony interplay. Like in this song, it's just the whole sort of feel has like a Fleetwood mm -hmm. Mac thing going on. But now here's one where like they're not really changing key, they keep repeating the you regret me thing, mm -hmm. and and then what they also do is later on they do this refrain over and over again but then they change the the melody which mm -hmm. which they do in more than one song on this album and we probably already listened to one where they did that we just didn't get far enough yeah and that i like a lot too because it's a testament to the writing where it's like let's not only make the song interesting unto itself but then let's like change the character of something you've already heard two or three times mm -hmm. and we're going to repeat it two or three more times but we're going to like completely change the melody which yeah. is great because then it also changes the emotion and then the fact that they're these two singers these two actors slash singers are able to execute yeah. that oh my god like i i i've i've now listened to this album probably about like 10 times now but mm -hmm. it's a challenge every time i'm finding something new in terms of like what note is he or she landing on at the end of that because they do so much swooping and stuff like these like i don't know who directed these harmonies but oh my god you know yeah, I don't know if, how you feel about that, but it's, it's just good, man. Uh, it's like a singing, you know. I, I, I think know. one thing we could talk about here that yes. would be interesting to us, anyway, as the mm -hmm. the W O A S waiting on a song podcast about songwriting. Yeah, is talk about some of the production choices. Like what what is it about this that makes it sound old versus yeah, because it was recorded in twenty whenever twenty twenty one twenty two. Yeah, something like that. I'm assuming. Yeah, or. So it's not just the the gear and but it's also these songwriting elements where you have um guitar riffs and you've got mini guitar solos and yeah. you're using an acoustic guitar and you're building the song in a way where the the hooks of old stuff are different than the hooks now. Yes, for sure. And the Which I think we probably illustrated, you're... you know, well with the first three, four. So, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. The melody choices you're making are completely different than what modern music is doing. Modern and, pop and, music. And even in some cases from what they're trying to emulate, like it, mm -hmm. it, it, this isn't the, these aren't melodies that Fleetwood Mac would have necessarily written either. Right. Yeah. These are uh, like somewhere in between. It's like um, retro instead mm -hmm. of actually original kind of thing. 
to throw but, back. but they want but they wind up creating unique stuff in the attempts to do and again it's yeah. you know it's maybe this is blake mills like being like a, a mastermind you know mm-hmm. um but let's also mention a couple um usual suspects that we already brought up like the drums mm-hmm. is one where you have it's an acoustic there, kit yeah it's sampled. A, there you go it's an acoustic kit it's up it's up close and tight like mm-hmm. um you hear on the waiting on a song album yep uh and like you would hear in like just you know thousands of songs from the 70s and 60s the guitar tone is probably reminiscent of that time so they're probably at the very least like forget outboard gear and blah 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 they're yeah. probably using what would have been used at the time like there's probably a lot of strat and Les Paul and that kind of stuff. And then they're probably using amps that were, you know, maybe Marshall, probably Marshall, a lot of stuff. Fender, Vox. Vox, uh, yeah, maybe some Voxes yeah. and maybe vintage versions of, of those amps. Or um, it's all plug-ins on a computer and we'll yeah, never I mean, know the difference. I would be surprised though because- I would be surprised. Like, I think that's also why it's resonating with us because it's, I mean, not that I can always tell when it's a virtual mm-hmm. amp versus a real one, but- because this is not modern music per se, it's it's probably harder to fake that, get that kind of sound. Maybe not. You think? No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I know because yeah. we both do it, but I'm just saying, like, it, I, yeah. I don't know. It seems like it just, it just hits differently. Um, but you know, I may be wrong. Uh, and then what was another thing? Oh, there's probably an appropriate amount of reverb. I can't really. I don't. I, I haven't been listening intently enough for that. But like, there's probably an appropriate amount that matches what they would have done at the time and or they're using the types of reverb they would have at the time. Yeah. Can make as well as difference yeah. to the sound. Oh, for sure. Oh, of course it's everything. And then also, um, as we've already mentioned too, the, the vocals being back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I was noticing it more this morning. I had, um, earbuds in and, um, it was a little bit more kind of like buried in my ears. Like, I mean, it should be with this, but for some reason I was noticing it more mm-hmm. earlier on that, and it may have been one of the songs we already played, but the these songs where they're doing a lot of like constant harmonies for the main parts, the the verses and stuff, mm-hmm. not just as like flavor enhancers for the chorus or whatever, where there's more than one of Riley and more than one of Sam, they're not doing like a the two mains up the middle and then like the harmonies on the side. It's almost like they're dropping the lead vocals back and then they're pushing out the side ones and making a more like proximity effect closer to your ears yeah just like has a very interesting effect and it, and it definitely colors the uh the layering of and probably why some of these harmonies sound so crazy mm-hmm. um it may be aurora even um i think it's aurora actually um so for anyone who's sold on this and is list you know is going to listen to this album when you listen to aurora put on headphones and and hear the way the spatial changes happen between Riley and Sam's voice. And there's, there's multiple versions of it. It's probably like three a piece and they come in and out and it'd be like, you kind of visualize they're both up to your ears like this for the supporting parts. And then the lead parts are like back behind your head. Almost. It's really, it's hard to kind of articulate, but it, it, it's got an interesting sound. So that, and again, I don't know if I'm, I don't think that's necessarily a production technique from that time, but it's an interesting technique period. And it evokes a certain kind of feeling. Well, um, I think back then, and I'm sure the comments can correct me, but 
people were doing a lot more hard panning of stuff. So you'd hard pan a guitar, yeah, hard pan a vocal, mm-hmm. and people don't do that kind of stuff as much now. Like they're much more reliant on reverbs and um, stereo widening mm-hmm. instead of those old school techniques where you would just hard pan something. Yeah, and you mean like doing that in place of letting reverb sort of yeah kind of fill in spatialize that things more mm-hmm. let's say spatialize that could be trademark that shit yeah yeah <laughs> it's a good verb um i think uh yeah no no it, it, absolutely i mean i guess that's what i'm getting at is it's like there's a weird it, it's a very from my perspective anyway at least in terms of today's standards it's a very mm-hmm. weird sort of like technique if that's in fact what they're doing it sounds like it where it again like you it. know you're bringing forward the backing vocals uh-huh. or whatever the supplemental vocals let's say like you know, supporting lead vocals mm-hmm. and then featuring them instead of the, the main, which is like bizarre, but yeah, totally Maybe cool. Maybe that's a Fleetwood Mac thing. Could be. I mean, I, I and I wouldn't be surprised if they like like looked into what they were trying to mm-hmm. emulate with that level of detail. Maybe they even spoke to some of the engineers and producers that worked on that stuff. Yeah. But this is, um, again, it's going to be so fascinating to get the background on this, right? I know. I want to hear all the details because that yeah. stuff it's so much more important than people realize. Yeah. How your song ends up sounding. Sure. Yeah. All that mixing and mastering stuff really matters. Well, because at, cause at the end of the day, like when, when people hear it and react to it, like, you know, react to it favorably, mm-hmm. that's why, <laughs> you yeah, know, because you did everything you did to make it sound like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah. So this is, here's, here's our pitch to any of the show runners or, people involved particularly in the music production of this awesome blake album mills. yeah blake mills is especially uh please come and talk to us <laughs> uh, because we'd love to know more about this and we could kind of do a companion episode to this as well yeah i wonder who engineered this stuff too yeah let's see let's see if we have that listed um and while i'm looking for that uh would this now be an appropriate time to reveal our you know mystery writer in terms of at least one song on here that I think you kept them waiting long enough, Mike. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, let me just see what the engineer is listed as for at least summer. Joseph Lorg or Lorge recording mixing. He seems to be the, you know, like the de facto mixer list- listed here. Um, okay. So, talk to. yeah. So interestingly enough, you mentioned Jackson Brown, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. As a producer. Yeah. We were talking about him and Blake Mills and Phoebe Bridgers, who we'll need to look her up more as well. Uh, She's got some killer stuff, man. Okay, awesome. I look forward to checking it out. It's more country, uh, kind of folk. Okay. Very unique sounds. Great production, yeah. great voice, good songs. Four Grammy nominations I'm seeing. Yeah, she's really good. And including Best New Artist. Awesome. You need All to right, know check about her. Yeah, no, I, I want to know. I'm going to know. Also- um, but anyway, no, but it's, so Phoebe Bridgers, and, and hopefully we can do another thing on her as well. But the initial song in the series that encourages the producer, the fictitious producer in the movie, to bring in Daisy Jones. The, the song in question, which is initially called Honeycomb, and then they they change it to Look at Us Now. And it starts out as sort of like a love song. Daisy Jones comes in, changes it to sort of like what he's probably really thinking and feeling. And it's like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about like you don't know how to communicate with your wife and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it gets renamed to Look at Us Now and then in parentheses is Honeycomb. So it, 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 that's important to note because what happens is like you have a song that that uh, has two different char- um, two different sort of um, presentations in the series and it starts out as like happy and then and then 
then it goes right to like what he co-writes with Jay-Z Jones and it becomes another thing. So they at least had to kind of like write it in two different ways initially. Anyway, that song is co-written by none other than Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. So I'm just going to let that sink in. And apparently that's the only track on there that where that is the case. But it's cool because you wouldn't necessarily think when you listen to these songs that his kind of style of writing would be in there. Mm -hmm. So, so I would reference that in the same way that we've been referencing Blake Mills, where it's like, listen to the way he writes and then listen to this album. And it's not necessarily, there's no sort of like cohesion, but it's kind of awesome because it's like, he can do this and he can do what he does. Yeah. So same with Marcus Mumford. And that would be another interesting thing to learn about, like how he, how did he get involved and right. You know, um, so, and there's a bunch of other names on here that I don't recognize that are probably also like really big, you know, sort of players yeah. in the songwriting world. Like I know, I know um, Matt, Sw- oh yeah, Matt Sweeney, American musician, record producer, best known as guitarist of Skunk, Chavez and Supergroup Zwan, which that's, uh, is that Billy Corgan's project no after? I think it's Billy Corgan's group. Anyway, Matt Sweeney does like a lot of videos on YouTube and like, you know, like he interviews like Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone mm-hmm. Age and you know, like Ace Freely and a bunch of people. So he is one of the writers on Aurora. Look at that. That's awesome. Holy shit. Um, that, and I think that's, oh no. And he's also on More Fun to Miss. That's the blues one where like in the show, Daisy's, it's Billy Dunn's song. Daisy's not singing it with like the passion and the feel that he wants. And he's like, getting mm-hmm. frustrated. And then she like storms out and he like, whatever, you know, I won't ruin it for you guys. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Something so he, happens and you should watch it. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. He co-writes that. Um, Matt Sweeney. So that's interesting. So quite quite a cast behind this this album. And uh, hopefully we've already demonstrated, you know, what's interesting about this. But um, to just maybe drive this point home, let's listen to a little bit of Look at Us Now, in parentheses, Honeycomb. Again, co-written by Marcus Mumford, but also Blake Mills. And let's see how we react to this. Now remember, this is initially like a love song, and then Daisy Jones comes in and changes it. I don't know who I am, baby, baby, baby. Do you know who you are? Is it out of our hands? Tell me, tell me, tell me. How we made it this far? This sounds contrary to me, by the way, when I said uh, earlier on country. This is country. Yeah, the singing style, I mean. Get the Stevie Nicks tambourine. Yes, and the harmony is not up front, but they're like really like dry and like hard pans. I think they're dry, I don't know. the idea folks um the finger picking could also be an ode to uh lindsey bucky cam he's a he doesn't use a yes that's right he does not yeah and yeah i I did it's funny i actually remember looking for that when when they're cutting to his brother playing guitar solos Uh and he's using a pick and i'm like ah, okay all right so they're not like trying to get that literal with you know there's another it's um maybe the river um but there's another 
riff that's like super Lindsay Buckingham. It's like, and it's I you know I think it's it's the the it's reminiscent of the riff from the chain, the song, the chain. Uh-huh. Um, maybe the one example where they almost literally do, <laughs> yeah, almost directly copy something from um Fleetwood Mac, but. Anyway, and it was just like I'm, I'm, I'm watching him doing that, and I'm remembering seeing live footage of a concert of Fleetwood Mac from like you know whatever like seventy like middle seventies playing that song, and uh-huh. and and it was when I was like maybe I don't know sixteen or seventeen, and just learning about that band and mm-hmm. being like holy shit, like listening to what he's playing, but he's not using a pick, <laughs> like how's he doing yeah. that, yeah. you know? Which shout out to Lindsey Buckingham, or you know, or kudos to Lindsey Buckingham for. You know, I need a pick. That my man. opinion. What's that? I need a pick. I can't. I don't yeah, know how you here. get that electric guitar tone with just your fingers. I mean, there's a there's a uh, aspect of finger picking and chicken picking where mm-hmm. you can get like you know in the same way when you're doing slap bass when you're doing a, a slap and a pull. Yeah, yeah. You know, it work. It translates well to guitar too, where like you can get a lot of oomph out of like pulling, mm-hmm. but for articulating lead notes in like a solo type fashion that shit's hard to do oh yeah you know on an electric guitar well and um like who else does that there's um dire straits was his name mark knopfler does that sometimes yeah, mark, but not mark knopfler he's the finger picking guy always though like like on like money maybe for nothing is that finger picking maybe he's a chicken picker hybrid yeah kind of guy i think he's kind of hybrid i think he does both but like there's someone else who do who do is like almost exclusively finger picking. But Lindsey Buckingham being the most famous one, you mm-hmm. know. You ever watch Chris Buck on YouTube? Mm, maybe. He does Friday Fretworks. Yeah. No, um, that doesn't ring a bell. He's in this band. Um anyway, he he has a really unique playing style where he switches mid okay. song yeah. between finger picking. Oh, it's so and hard mid. to do that. And he like puts his pick in this weird position on his finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then plays with just these three. Oh, okay, but he's so smooth with it, man. He can like flick that pick out in no time at all. And then I, put it back have you forth. tried to do that? I've tried to do it. It's I've tried the to hardest do it. shit. Very yeah. hard. Ugh, it's like because also it's like you know you don't want to have it affect your playing. You don't want to drop it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you could put it somewhere within reach, but then you still have to make sure like you can switch quickly enough and then get a good grip on the pick. Because like I always, even though I'm like a mostly a pick guy finger picking oriented but for like specific things mm-hmm. right not like across the board but oh like i even though i'm a pick guy like <laughs> i'm very sort of like over i overthink the way i hold it sometimes so uh-huh. like if i'm not paying attention it's all good but then if i start if i for any second focus on the fact of how i'm holding it then it uh-huh. totally throws me off and then like i don't hold it right right <laughs> so imagine like feeling that way and then like trying to go from having it in between your knuckles and then like yeah. you know I'm like yeah. and i'm not holding it right like yeah. but anyway um, i won't make a joke here i won't make a joke okay okay uh yeah so anyway so i think i think it's you know kind of a good um introduction without you know sort of overdoing it in terms of I think what's special about this album, I think, as we mentioned, it'd be interesting to know a lot more about what went into this, you know, how long it took, um, mm-hmm. what were the, maybe some of the conversations around what they were going for based on both what the book um, indicated, what the showrunners wanted to get out of it in terms of how it should sound and look and feel and all that stuff. A, a, a nice thread to run through the waiting on a song stuff that we pointed out to this a Teddy producer um, mm-hmm. I think it's on 
I think it's kill you to try. But anyway, there the uh, he he comes in to sort of like add a little flavor, and it's just incidentally in the scene, like the song's already cooking, and then you see him doing his thing, and it's like, oh yeah, Teddy, you put the you know like the icing on the cake, or whatever. He's mm-hmm. doing the vibraphones, do 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 do, yeah. Um, during the what is it? What is it? I must you know. And I was like, oh, there, there, there's those those vibes again where they're just kind of like, you know, yeah, just add something. <laughs> they're just sprinkling the the magic dust on top of, you know, yeah. um, and again, you know, it, I bring that up because it's like another element where they just like with Dan Arbuck's usage of that used a sort of component that would have been characteristic of that time and place, right? A musical that component, vintage I mean. vibe, yeah, every time. Yeah, totally. So, um, this is a good, it's a good discussion. I feel yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's a pretty good show. I'm gonna finish yeah. it out. I'm on episode seven mm-hmm. of ten. Okay, so I've got a few more to go. Gonna finish it out, but I've enjoyed it so far. Um, with some critiques, it's not a perfect show. It's no, like no, like somewhere between like a six and a seven. Yeah, as TV shows go. Yeah, oh, sure. The music is great, and I'm yeah, glad we talked about the music. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's the thing too, is like, this is an interesting sort of concept too, where can the show have killer music and like an okay sort of production and plot and writing mm-hmm. and that, um, and be great because of those two things or where it's mediocre music, but the show is amazing, um, mm-hmm. or movie or whatever, can that coexist and, and create one great whole? And I think the answer is yes. Um, yeah. Because like it's cool to have something to take away from it, where you know, um, TV and film can make you feel something, or you know, like art in general. But visual medium can make you feel something, and there's a, there's a lot of movies you watch where, when it's done, it's not like you're well, yeah, like you're disappointed because you almost felt like you were like living that life, and then it's over, and then and then you like will go back to it because you get that feeling from it. Yeah, and I think to have like a, a companion piece of like the music in this case is awesome you know and that and that in today's overly stimulated commercial bullshit world that we all consume this stuff in for for a group of people to make an album that stands on its own that well and then like evokes that feeling at least you know in my case for me yeah um is incredible you know it gives me hope as far as what's on the horizon um both in terms of more examples of like shows or movies like this Mm-hmm. And then just even music in general, you know, I, I feel refreshed. Or I felt refreshed hearing this, just be like, Oh, this is great. Like I would never expect something of this quality to come out that like just Especially nails out of it. A Amazon prime TV show. Right. Yeah. 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 That is surprising. So well done everyone involved in Daisy Jones and the six. Um, yeah. Come on the podcast and tell us please. how you made it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's probably a good place to end it. What do you think? I think awesome. so. I think All we right. did it. Awesome. Video fun. All right. Um, well, thank you for uh watching and listening and uh hopefully you go out and uh you know uh enjoy some of the Daisy Jones and the Six content and let us know what you think. Uh please add some thoughts of your own in the comments and let's have a conversation about it as always. And uh I am Mike Ledoux and you know, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop the matter. Roll so, credits. Uh, yeah, roll credits. Right. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Yeah. Good, good chat. And uh, looking forward to the next conversation. Me too, buddy. All right, man. Did you enjoy that episode? Yes. Would you like to see and hear more? Please like and subscribe, and you'll automatically receive notifications when we publish new episodes. Thanks for watching and listening to the WOAS podcast.